Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. Part one of our brand new series. That was awesome, wasn't it? Didn't you feel like you just the beat dropped and you wanted to do one of these for a second? Um, we're in a series called Miracles. Week one, best week to ever be in a series. And really, in some ways, this is almost part seven of Legacy part one of miracles, if you, if you want to look at it like that. It's a little bit of a hangover here, but we, we kick off a brand new series called Miracles, and I'm excited. I just, if you don't know this, um, I have typically kind of a rhythm and a flow to the way that I think about the year and how I preach and put together sermon series, and sometimes it's a little bit random, and sometimes it's a little bit planned, and, and, and sometimes there's randomness inside the planning, and just so you know, like every year I have what I call the Jesus series, and sometimes it's four weeks or six weeks or whatever, but this, this is the Jesus series. This is the series where at least once a year, Jesus is kind of laced into everything that we do and think about, but there is one series where I say we are not going to do anything but just focus on the person of Jesus. And this year I just thought, man, I really want to dive into the miracles of Jesus and what he did and how he did it. And so um, that's this series in a nutshell. We will take a look at some of these incredible moments in the scripture, specifically where Jesus does something that is just off the wall. It is crazy. It is absurd. It's weird. It's over the top. I can't believe that just happened. I don't even know that I can believe that. This has got to be like a cool made up story because that, how, can that, how can that really, really happen? Which by the way, if, if, you, have, if you ever struggle intellectually with miracles, maybe I can help you out with, it, with this real quick here. Um, how many believe you exist? Real quick. You, you just, some of you are not sure. I don't know what y'all, what, what medication y'all are on this morning. You, okay. I'm, I exist. I don't know what you're doing out there. I exist. Um, if you exist, what you have to remember is that like, you, eventually at some point in your life, you ask, well, why does anything exist at all? Like, wh why are we here? Why, do, why does anything exist? Why does something exist rather than nothing exist? And because ultimately scientists have figured out that the, the universe is not infinite going in the backwards and infinite going into the forwards. It doesn't work like that. The, the universe had a starting point, and they figured that out through all kinds of weird scientific stuff that I can't explain. But, but then when they came up with this theory that everything that exists had a cause and a beginning, we were like... Well, yeah, that's what Genesis 1 said. We believe, we believe that forever. So thumbs up, you know, that, thanks for jumping on board with the Bible. And so what you, what you realize then is that everything that began to exist has a cause. And anything that, that exists that we have now is made up of time, right? We have time now. We have space. We have material. We have all kinds of different things that exist that used to not exist. So therefore, for anything to come into existence, it, it had to have a cause. And that cause had to be spaceless because there wasn't space before. And it had to be timeless because there wasn't time before. And it had to be immaterial because there wasn't material before. You get what I'm thinking, right? And it had to be personal because it had to like choose to make something rather than choose not to make something. And it had to be smart or intellectual because then it had to like think up how this stuff all works and fits together. And, and it had to be powerful because, you know, well, just to make something out of nothing, that requires a certain level of power anyway, right? And so then you end up with this idea that you have a, an immaterial, spaceless, timeless, personal, intelligent, powerful. I'm like, oh, that's what we call God. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth exploded and so all of a sudden... So remember the question I said, how many believe you exist? So if you believe that you exist and you believe that God has the ability to create something out of nothing rather than nothing at all... That's the greatest miracle ever, right? So if you exist, all miracles are possible. Right? Because if you can create something out of nothing, then you can take something and change it. Right? Because miracles, this is what miracles are. This is the way, the, my little cute, funny, sweet, quick definition. Miracles are God invading the natural course of things and momentarily changing the rules. 
That's what God does. It's just him saying, I know that there's a law and an order and a flow to everything, but every once in a while, I just jump in, and it's not that I break the rules. I created them. So I, you know, it's almost like the rules at your house. You remember when you tell your kids not to drink from the orange juice container or not to drink from the milk when it's really late at night? You don't want to get a glass out. What do you do? Yeah, you just change the rules a little bit because you were the one that made the rules. Now, if your kid did that, they're getting a whooping. But you, well, you made the rules. You bought the OJ for crying out loud. Drink some if you want. It's miracles. It's miracles. It's God invading the natural course. What? So, so, so that's God invading the natural order of things. And people ask me all the time, too, like, well, why don't miracles happen all the time? It's like, well, by definition, they can't happen all the time. If a miracle happened all the time, it'd just be normal. It'd just be Common occurrences, that's just it's what it is. And so in the Bible, you have all these moments in time where God actually seems to infuse a bunch of miracles. So, for instance, when God was introducing the nation of Israel and the law and the Torah and all this stuff through Moses, you see a whole bunch of miracles take place. And then they all of a sudden, you just see a bunch, and it kind of, kind of wanes a little bit. And then when Elijah and Elisha in the, in the kind of the, the era of the prophets, you see all these incredible miracles because God used miracles to kind of validate what he was doing in the earth, this new kind of season of life. And so when Jesus comes along, what do you see? incredible off-the-chart miracles because if anybody gets to do the dope miracles, it's God, right? Jesus is like, I'm outdoing all the other people. I'm cooler than you. And then even the apostles, the apostles come along and so God introduces this new era called the era of the church and the era of grace and he uses the apostles to do great and mighty things to kind of validate and put this stamp on us. You see, miracles. but, everybody say but, but miracles are all the time, all throughout the Bible, you see little spots of miracles and you see things. And God is still doing incredible things even in the earth today. As a matter of fact, I actually went and began to look and see what kind of recent and common and interesting and fascinating miracles. And I found these different news stories. And these news stories, there was this one, you want to hear this story? This story's, this story's crazy. Now, there's a bunch where like a guy died, coded, was dead for an hour and then came back. To, I mean, there's those. Which, when enough of those happen, what makes me as a skeptic think is, wait a minute, maybe y'all just think at your job and y'all don't know when people are really alive or really dead. That could be on y'all. But apparently these people are smart and have degrees and they should know this stuff and people come back to life. You see those stories. The, the craziest one that I saw, though, was where this woman, and it, it, it happened right in front of you, like they were filming it as it happened. It was where there was a flood and a car was in the river and was sinking and these rescue people, and they're just common people. They weren't like specific rescue workers. They just went out and they were like having a stick banging on the glass. Or trying to, there's a woman trapped in the car and they're trying to get the woman out of the car. And then like two, three, four dudes are all around. And, the, and again, you're watching this live as it happens and the, and the car keeps sinking and eventually the car is underneath the water and, and the, the guy gives the testimony. He goes, I just reached down under the water and I could feel her hand and I pulled her out but then they pulled the car out of the water and all the windows are still up and no windows are broken and they're like wow my gosh that's weird okay so anyway i i don't want to get too far into these stories but i just want you to see that like there are miracles, there are unexplainable things, there are things where it seems as though God stepped in and kind of invaded time and reality and kind of changed the rules momentarily to do something unique and why he chooses it to do sometimes and not others, I don't know, I can't explain all that, I just know that, that God is love and he is infinite wisdom and he, I'll figure it out one day in heaven even when I can't figure it out now. So, in light of that, I want to look at a very, very unique and specific miracle. If you have your Bible, go to Luke chapter 9. And there's this cool, because you know, again, all these miracles are different. There's some times where Jesus would, would do like a, a, a molecular miracle where he turned water into wine. Because I mean, you know, like 
water molecules or hydrogen and oxygen, and, and then all of a sudden, wine, that's different molecules. And so God just changed them. And then there's other times where he would do physical miracles where he walked on water, and that's, that's different because liquid is liquid and not solid. And last time I checked, I can't walk on liquid, but I can walk. You know, so like, I don't know what he did there. And, then, and there's this, there's this stories where he would heal people, and sometimes when he would heal them, sometimes he would lay his hands on them. Sometimes he would just say words. This one time, it was really weird. He spit in the ground. He made a mud pie and then slapped the mud pie in the guy's face and said, bam, now you're healed. Actually, there was no bam. I made that up, but there was just something with a spit mud pie in a guy's face. How many of you know, like, Jesus, just speak the words, right? No mud pie for me. Just, just speak it. That's how, that's how powerful you are. Just speak it. I'll receive it, Lord. No Mud pie necessary. So, but this one, though, is a mathematical miracle, if you will. That, that's what we're going to dive in today. Luke chapter 9, if you have your Bible, we'll just read along on the screen if you don't. Late in the afternoon, you know, let me say this. There's, there's something about this story that's unique. There are only a couple of stories in the Bible that are referenced in all four historical accounts of Jesus. The four historical accounts of Jesus are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is one of the only stories that is mentioned in all four Gospels. They all say the same thing, but many of them add a tiny little bit of detail here or there that other people don't know. And so when it says late in the afternoon, this is what you don't know because if you read Matthew's account, is basically they followed him out into the middle of nowhere because they wanted him to do miracles and teach and do all this stuff. And so he starts teaching, and this lasts all day long. So I don't know if, like last week, I'm going to be honest, I preached for like 42 minutes. And I'm sorry for that, if that went over your attention span. But I just want to put some perspective around it. (laughs) This man started in the morning. (laughs) And he preached through lunch. And the disciples are like, hey boss, it's lunchtime, you want to break for lunch? And he just keeps right on preaching. He's like, it's good, it's good. We know it's good preaching. It's better than my preaching. I'm not trying to compare. I'm just trying to compare the time. I preached for 40 minutes. He preached for well over four hours. Just give me some grace for when I go long. I'm sorry because I've never done that to you. I've never made you miss the buffet line and let the Baptist beat you. I've never done that before. So it says, late in the afternoon, the 12 came to Jesus and said, send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages. I think that's a little bit of a lie because I know that the disciples were probably hungry too and they blamed it on the crowd. That's my opinion. Like, hey, you know what? I think those people are really hungry. We're, we're fine. We could fast all day. We, we're with you, Jesus. But the people, they're hungry. So send them away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because... We're in the middle of nowhere. He replied, well, then you give them something to eat. Again, all the different accounts say something a little bit different, but the, 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 the account in John says that a young lad had given them, that when they were trying to like scramble and figure out what to do and how they were going to feed all these people, that a young boy had given them five loaves of bread and two fish. So they say to Jesus, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. The way that they would count people is that they tried to count like family units. They'd count a man instead of counting, trying to count women and children or whatever because they thought most of these, everybody's here is a family person anyway. So we're talking about 5,000 men. This could have been anywhere from then 10 to 15, maybe upwards of 20,000 people. This is a big crowd. As a matter of fact, this is the biggest crowd that Jesus has ever spoken to in one single time period. This is bigger than the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes and all that stuff. This is huge so he says to them, because he said, hey, we, we, got, we got the lunchbox with five loaves and two fishes. 
or we can go buy something. And he says, he says to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And the disciples did so, and everyone sat down. I just want to say for the record, you know how hard that was? That is incredible leadership right there. This would be like herding a mob of angry, no, hangry, hangry, uh, you know, like how do you get, that's, anyway, this incredible leadership. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks, and he began to break them. And then he gave them to disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate. I love this. And we're satisfied. Because how many know, like, sometimes, like, when you're really, really hungry, and then mom's like, here, just have a snack. This will hold you over. And then, like, you're still hangry. It says they all ate and were what? Like, it was full. Like, last night I went to Chick-fil-A. And I ate. And I have this thing where I'll get a sandwich and some fries, but then I'll get an extra little thing of chicken nuggets. I didn't even eat them. I was, and, and I saved them for later. I had, I had leftovers just like the disciples did. I just had a half a dozen instead of a dozen. And, but I was so satisfied because it, like, it wasn't like there was a handout of food and it was like you get two nuggets and one piece of bread and that'll hold you till you get home. It said they ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up how many? Twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This is insane. And what's incredible is this, is that, that, that we have legitimate evidence that says that the Gospels were written by eyewitness accounts within the first generation. This would have been a story that would have been easy to refute. This would have been like, no, 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 I was there. I got one nugget. That was it. We weren't satisfied. That is a lie. And so, and because it's hard to get one over on 5,000 men plus women and children on time. It's hard to get over on that. And so this is this incredible miracle that takes place. And, and it's one of these miracles that has a lot to do with food, which I love. Because if you read the Bible, you ever wonder why food tastes so good? It's because God likes food. And I'm not, I'm like, go throughout the Bible and you begin to see that God is into food. Like, think about this. Every appearance by Jesus after his resurrection, they eat food. Jesus has a moment where he heals Peter's mom. She was sick about to die. And then she's like, wow, I'm healed. It's miraculous. It's crazy. And he's like, hey, can you go make me a sandwich? And so this is literally like what happens. Like, everything is about food. Think about this. When we get to heaven, when it's all said and done, you know what we have? The marriage supper of the lamb. I don't know if that means lamb is on, like, the dinner menu, but like the lamb was Jesus, so maybe both. There's a big dinner. Jesus says this in the book of Revelation chapter 3. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone would hear my voice and let me in, I would come in and share a, a meal with them. Like the whole point. And here's, here's what I think. What I really think is the reason why God likes food and foods incorporated in all these stories, and this happens to be a food moment, is because God likes the fellowship of it all. Isn't there something like... You know, like, there's something about food. This is why the Baptists would do the ice cream social after Sunday night service. You know what I'm talking about? This is why people do potlucks. This is why people do... Bar- How many love a good barbecue? You invite and you have people over for some barbecue. And there's just something about human connection and food. And I just think that's the way God designed it. So you keep seeing food everywhere. And so Jesus preaches this big, long sermon to thousands and thousands of people and he's like i just don't want the fellowship to end i don't want to break this thing up y'all are having a good time we're all having a good time we're all growing closer to god let's eat 
so he makes this incredible miracle take place all surrounding the idea of food because I think God just likes the fellowship of it all. Now, today what I want to do, though, is dive in. And there's so many lessons inside of the miracle. So I just want to cover a few lessons, but mainly land on one primary lesson. The first lesson that I thought was fascinating was this, is that there's a lesson in, in that he makes them sit down in groups of 50. Did you catch that? Now, if you've ever seen a picture of like a refugee camp and then a truck shows up with a whole bunch of food, and then what, what happens? Pure chaos and craziness break out. and People are just grabbing and reaching, and, and, and understandably so, because they're hungry and they're afraid that they won't get any. And so i got to get mine and steal and take and do whatever. And, and that's just what happens. And so can you imagine? you got 5,000 men plus women and children. They're all hangry because he preached too long. And, and so because of that, he's like, hey, we need to get some order to this thing so that chaos doesn't break out. And so that's really the first lesson. Is this the lesson from the people or for the people? And it's the lesson of order precedes blessing. Everybody say that. Everybody say order precedes blessing. Now, here's what I know about you. You really want God to bless your life. That's, I, if I could listen to all your prayers, it all includes like, God, I want you to help me here, do this for me here, bless me. We all want God's blessing in our life, but a principle that you need to put into place is simply this, is that order precedes blessing. That it might not work out if I just keep asking, asking, asking for God's blessing to be on my life and I never put order to my life because here's why. I don't know that God can bring the blessing until the order comes. Let me put it into some real practical terms. So there are people who really want God to do a miracle, let's say in, in the realm of their finances, and something's happened, and they've gotten backed up here, or they're down on their luck here, or catastrophe has happened, and they're like, God, I need like a financial miracle. But see, what you don't know is that order precedes miracle. And so I, I want you to always pray, and I always want you to ask, but I want you to actually do something. Because what you're going to see today is that whenever God does something supernatural, there's always something natural that you do that goes together with it. Does that make sense? So if you want something supernatural from God, you got to do something natural on your end. And for the people, it was simply, hey, we need to get organized. We need to get into groups of 50 and sit down, and that way we can actually receive the blessing. Because let's say you needed a financial miracle, but here's the problem. you got no budget. You have no idea where your money's going. You have no plan. You have no blueprint. You haven't been working. You haven't been doing natural steps to get out of debt or to get on budget or to, get, or to give. Like that's one of those things where like we don't give randomly or just purely inspirational, but our giving is planned. It's, it's a pre-decision. That's why it's a percentage number is the starting point of all of our giving because order precedes blessing. And so if I really want God to do something miraculous, I need to put my junk in order. Can I get an amen out there? That wasn't a good amen point. But, and this is, this is true of anything out there. Like, like you want your health. You, you know, some of us, we go through things where we're like, God, I need you to do like this incredible miracle where you like heal my body. That's great, but order precedes blessing. So what I'd love for you to do is get your health in order. Because like, it's, it's not enough for you to say, God, I need you to do something miraculous without changing anything that you do because you won't be able to keep or maintain the blessing or healing that God gives you. You'll go right, because if you eat this and this and this, and you never exercise here, and you don't take care of your physical health, what would be the point of God giving you a, a, a physical healing only for you to go right back into it with a lack of order? Can I, this, is, this, this isn't a good amen material, I'm sorry here. Um, this is good though, this is good, this will change somebody's life. Like, let's say like you, you want 
a relationship miracle. Like you want um, your husband this or your wife this, and you are you, you know what? Or you're even just looking for a future husband or a future wife, and you want like a relationship dynamic where God puts you in the right place at the right time to meet the right person or whatever it is. But again, everybody say order precedes blessing. Because here's the here's the deal: if you got junk in your trunk. And you got so much drama and emotional baggage and craziness. Like if you keep praying for a 10, but you can't get over the hump of being a four and a half, it ain't, it ain't going to happen. Because even if, even if God brought Mr. 10 into your life, he... Man, we, this, I don't even know why I made this point up. Let's keep moving. I don't, man, I'm sorry. So, order proceeds blessing. How many of you want blessing in your life? It's time to get some order. Where, wherever it is that you need blessing, you need order first, and you need to put things in order so that you can actually receive an incredible miracle from God. That's good preaching. I know it's not good amen material, but it, it's, it's really, that's good. Um, I amen myself. Um, <clears throat> the, the second lesson I want to point to is, is really, I think, a lesson from Jesus. Um, the lesson from Jesus is this, is that he thanks God for what he has before God gives him more. Did you notice that, like, he didn't thank God after the miracle was done? The Bible said that he took a lunchbox with some loaves and some fishes. And before he did anything, he just gave thanks. There's this idea of gratitude. See, sometimes we want God to give us more and trust me, I think we're all in that category. And hopefully what we want more is we want God to bless us more so that we can be more of a blessing to the world around us. And I hope that's our motive. But there's a more factor involved to our asking or we probably wouldn't be asking, right? But the, the idea is, is that, and it's kind of twofold. There's kind of two ways I want you to get your mind wrapped around this idea of gratitude. That one of them is sometimes we were praying for that house, but we didn't thank God for the house that we're in right now. We're, we're wanting that new car, but we're not thanking God for the the. the that beater that we're in right now, you know, the one that makes the weird noises, and you got to do three things, and you got to leave instructions if you loan it to anybody so that they know how to think. And don't, and don't you ever roll down that window because it will not come back up. Um, especially with all the rain we've had. So, so, you know, like you, you've been praying for that new car, but you don't thank God for the car that you got. You, you, like you want your kids to turn around, but you, you know, you got to thank kid, God for the kids that you, that you got. Um, that's, that's sometimes challenging. So, but you got to thank, but, but, here, but here's the other component. It's not only do you ha- thank God for what you have, because what that does is that makes sure that your heart is in the right place. That makes sure that if I can be grateful for what I have now, I can definitely be grateful for what I get in the future. So there's that component. But then there's another component, which is a faith component, because sometimes what we're doing is, is we're thanking God for what we have right now, but what we're doing is, is by faith, thanking God for what he's going to do. That's different. Wait until you start praying a prayer with God. I thank you. that It hadn't even happened yet, but I thank you in advance for what you've done in my kid's life. I thank you for in advance, God, for what... Because I believe it's already done. I believe it's already going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to... But God, I am thanking you in advance. It's this lesson from Jesus that we give thanks before anything else. There's a, a, another lesson in here. It's an interesting lesson. It's literally the lesson from the disciples. Yeah, don't, don't forget the scraps. How many baskets were left over when this miracle was done? Twelve. How many disciples were there? Yeah, so, so there's, a, there's a story. Again, this is told in all of the Gospels. I think it's Matthew 12, Luke 9, Mark 6, and John 6. And in John chapter 6, and, and, and many of the stories tell this, is basically that after they're done with this miracle, they get into a boat... 
But Jesus doesn't get in with them. He's like up on the mountain praying, and then there's this boat, and the disciples get in the boat, and that's where they're going. So, so they take off on a boat, and it gets stormy, and it gets rocky, and it gets crazy, and things are falling apart around them, and it says that they freak out, and they get scared. But then there's this interesting verse. Look at this in Mark chapter 6, verse 52. They're freaking out. They're scared. They're worried. They're panicking. They think that, that, it says, for they did not consider the miracle of the loaves. You know what the lesson from the disciples really is? Don't forget the leftovers. Don't forget the scraps. Because see, what happens is, is when you take scraps with you, what do you have in your possession? You have a reminder of the miraculous. You have a reminder. Remember that one time when God showed up? Remember that one time when God answered our prayers and we were going through something similar? Like, remember, remember three years ago when we had this going in our lives and we didn't think we were going to make it and we didn't know how it was going to turn out, but God See, I tell people this all the time. Like, whenever God answers a prayer, whenever God does anything incredible or good in your life, write it down. The human mind, when surrounded by fear, will just shut down. Your mind, when it's surrounded by fear, it doesn't go towards all the great memories. It just doesn't go there. It doesn't naturally, be by default, move there. And so what you need to do is you need to have a running tally, a running paper, a, to- a total up of all the times that God ever did anything. You need to stick it in your nightstand drawer. And every time something hits your life, you need to pull that thing out and say, I remember the scraps. I remember the details. I remember of what God, and I write it down in detail. And I write, because I'm telling you, this is what happens. I have people come to me like, Todd, the most incredible thing happened. And in the, this is like a day or two old. And they give me all these incredible details about every little minute thing that God moved heaven and earth to bring about this incredible miracle or result or answer to prayer. And, and, and I'm, I, you know what I tell them? I write it down. Because see, what's going to happen is, is in five years, when you need that, that, them scraps to go fall back on, you'll be like, God, I don't remember really. But in the moment, you're like, I will never forget this. That's what they tell me in the mind. I will never forget this. Yeah, you forget it. <laughs> write it down and write down the details. Don't forget the scraps because God's going to do something miraculous now. But guess what? Life is full of chaos and craziness and, and sin and issue. And I, I'm just telling you that it's going to come a point in time where you're going to sit back and think, man, where's my faith going uh, to arise from? It's going to arise from my testimony of what God has done in my past. Somebody say, all right. But today, but today. The main lesson, the most important lesson for us today as we kind of embark and kick off this this legacy journey is not from the disciples and it's not from Jesus and it's not even from the masses. The greatest story actually comes from the little boy. The the, the book of John calls him a young lad. And it's the little boy because I want you to think about this. Nobody was thinking about food. They were just following Jesus. And they get to this moment in time where there's no food. They're far away. Everybody's kind of faint because Jesus preached too long. And the only kid that brought a lunchbox decides, hey, I know it's not much, but I'll give you everything I got. This is the best I got. This is all I got. And Jesus, I'll give it to you. Because the lesson from the kid was simply this. If you put what's in your hand into God's hand, he can turn a lot. Or he can turn a little into a lot. That's it. Because I want you to think about this. That the young boy is the catalyst to the miracle. Now he wasn't even counted. Do you remember it said that they counted and it was about 5,000 men? Where did the miracle come from? People that weren't counted. Women and children weren't counted. And it came from someone who seemed to be not counted. 
and it seemed to be someone overlooked, and it seemed to be the most insignificant of gifts. It was five little pieces, little, little biscuits of bread, and two fish. And that was it. And that's the beginning of this incredible miracle. And sacrificial giving is the catalyst to this whole story. Without this, nothing happens. Without this, there's no cool story. They'd be like, yes, Jesus went and preached to multitudes and thousands and thousands of people. And then everybody went home hungry and angry at Jesus because of how long he preached. That would not have made it. Well, it might have because the disciples write all kinds of stuff where they, they make themselves look bad. But Probably wasn't, wasn't like a historic story. It was only historic because one little boy decided to do something incredible and sacrificial giving was the catalyst to everything. And here's the, here's the point, is that God's math is different than our math. So like again, a miracle is when God invades the current flow of things and just changes the rule. Because the way it works in our math, I don't know how, like I do math, I homeschool my kids and I do math and so I'm, I'm a lot sharper at math right now than I normally would be. Well, because I have to. But in, in our math, five Plus two equals what? That wasn't like a trick question, y'all. Like, there was such a lack of confidence in that answer. Let's try this again. In, in, in our math, five plus two is? Now we're all confident. We're like, if somebody was going to mess that up, it wasn't going to be me. And the answer could have been Jesus because we're at church, and that's typically the answer. No, it's just seven. So five plus two is? But see, in God's economy, there was five little biscuits of bread and two fish. And in God's economy, that did not equal seven. In God's economy, five plus two equals 5,000 with 12 doggy bags left over. It's the miracle of math. I don't understand how he does it. But somehow, Jesus prays. He's, he, I don't know how it happened. Was it like just breaking it, and then it grew, and then he break it, and then it grew? I don't know. All I know is, is that there's this incredible miracle, and here's what you need to see. Is that ultimately, like, this is, this is why you and I don't end up being like the little boy many times. Is because many times we look at what we have and we begin to think, well, what can I really do? What dent can I really make? You know, I start telling you that the building is this many million dollars and you're like, well, I, I got five bucks, Todd. I'm not helping out much. And I'm telling you that you have so much more if you'll put it in God's hands. Because what God does is he multiplies what you give to him. And, and there's this study that proves this even. There was a study from, um, it was Carnegie Mellon University. And what they did was, is they took a group of participants and they, they split them in half, and they said half of them, we're going to give them this information. It was about save the children. And the other half, we're going to give them different set of information. So what they did was they said the first group, we started giving them stats and numbers. And we started telling them that this many uh, millions of kids go to bed hungry every night. And in this region of the world, and in this, this country, in Africa, this many kids go to bed hungry every night. And they said, will you please give? And they gave. But then the other set of people, they didn't give them statistics and numbers and these overwhelming... Because I mean, you know, like you say, this many millions of people are, are, are without clean water or without food or without medical or whatever. And you're like, oh my good Lord, how do you even wrap your mind around those, those numbers? And so the second group set, what they gave them was simply a profile of one girl. They gave her name, her, her age, they put a picture with her, told her the story and said, hey, if you could give, you would be able to help this little girl. And you know what they found was is that in the sample size that got the profile of the girl and the specific girl and the specific story, that those people literally gave double what the other group gave. 
You know why? Sometimes we get overwhelmed by the numbers. Sometimes we're like, what can I do? My gift is so little. But that's not what the boy thought. What the boy thought was 15,000 people, lunchbox. I don't know what this can do, but I'll give it to God because I don't know what he can do. And that was the catalyst for this incredible miracle. Or to put it like this, he did not let what he did not have keep him from, or keep him from giving what he did have. This is the story. This is the miracle. This is the catalyst. This is what it's all about. It's about you saying, I'm going to go ahead and move beyond myself. I'm going to go ahead and do the best I can and give sacrificially and give my best to see. Because in this case, this particular miracle was caused by sacrificial giving. Um, there's another story, interestingly enough, in, in the Bible where God does a mathematical miracle. And it has to do with food again, too, by the way. This is, again, this whole, food, this whole food thing. I don't know if you know this, but when the children of Israel came out of Egyptian slavery, they didn't really have a lot because they had been slaves for, I think, 400 years. And, and they did take some stuff with them, but they didn't have, like, a society set up. They didn't have crops, and they didn't have all this stuff that they could live off of. And so they're out in the desert, and God feeds them with, with manna. Everybody say manna. We don't even know what that is. Um, literally, manna in Hebrew means, what is it? That's literally what it's like. They were like, what is that? It's like what your kid, you like when you make a casserole and you put it in front of your kid, like, what is that? It's manna. Shut up and eat it. So God feeds them every day with manna. And there's this dynamic story where he only gives them enough for the, for the day. And he gives them twice as much on Friday because they got to take the Sabbath and not, not collect any on the Sabbath. And so, but eventually... They lose their gratitude, you know, and they get mad and they get angry at eating that same ugly casserole every single day. And so they go to God and pray like, will you please send something other than manna? Can you send us some meat? And so basically the story goes, I don't want to get into it and I'll have to read the text, but you can go read it for yourself. It's in the book of Numbers. And what he does is he causes quail to move into that area. And basically they had quail to eat. And it talk, starts talking about the dimensions and how many quail came and how many like were just sitting there laying there right for the taking. And God gave them quail. And, and I guess the point that I want to show you is that God was feeding massive amounts of people. And he was defying all the numbers of what could be and should be. And it's found in the book of Numbers. The Greek word for the book of Numbers, by the way, is arrhythmia, which is where we get the word arithmetic. So in the book of arithmetic, God does miracle math. Because that's what he does. That's just what God is all about. And so I just want to show you this idea is that, is that ultimately God is wanting to take what you have and multiply it. And you can only do that if you give it away. It's impossible for God to multiply what you hoard or what you keep. It's impossible. It must be given away for God to multiply. As a matter of fact, John Wesley, if you've ever heard of like John Wesley or the Wesleyan denomination or even the Methodist denomination, they all flow from this one guy named John Wesley. He's this incredible evangelist and Bible teacher from like the late 1700s. This man rode 250,000 miles on horseback. How many travel for a living and fly a lot or get on planes a lot or you ever figure out how many miles you flew? When did you get your head wrapped around this? This man rode 250,000 miles on a horse. I'm assuming he had back problems. <laughs> that can't be healthy. Maybe God supernaturally sustained him. I have no idea. Th th this man either wrote or edited over 4,000 publications. It is said that he preached more than 40,000 sermons 
I mean, because he was literally traveling. He'd preach a sermon in the morning, travel by horseback, preach a sermon at the afternoon, travel and preach another sermon at night. I mean, this man was a maniac for Jesus. And one of the things that he did, and this is in his, in his biography when they, when they look at all of his writing and what he said, he basically had this quote that he lived by, and this was the quote. The quote was, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Make all that you can, save all that you can, and give all that you can. And he goes on to explain this quote, and he said this. He said, when I was a young man, I made a deal with God that I would give as much as I possibly could, and I would basically just live off of something really, really simple. So he came up with a number that was basically the smallest number that he felt like he could just live off of, and it was 28 pounds. He's an Englishman. So he had 28 pounds, and he said, God, whatever I make above and beyond that 28 pounds, it's just yours, right? So the first year, I think he made only like 30-something pounds. So you know what he did? He took 28, and he was able to give the rest. And then the next year, he doubled his salary. So he was able to keep 28 and then give that plus double. And, so, and, then, he, and then he kept doing this. This is no lie. It's recorded that during his lifetime, he gave away 30,000 pounds of money. Not, not This is English pounds. Not American pounds. But the American, American equivalent in today's economy would be $1.7 million. That this traveling, riding, horseback, preaching machine gave away. Because his idea was, is I'm going to make everything that I can. And I'm going to save it, meaning only live off of... That. Now, this is his story. Make, make as much as I can and then save as much as I can. Live off as little as I can so that I can give all that I can. And this horseback riding preacher had this, had this kind of bet and deal with God to see how much he could give. And you see these moments in life where people just gave. And because of their giving, God took what they did and they multiplied it. That's really what Miracle Offering Sunday is all about. It's us as a church saying, hey God, this is the day where I'm going to give sacrificially. I'm going to give just my best one time, this is the best I can do. And for some of you, you're looking at it like a kid, looking at his lunchbox and be like, God, that, that, that's not a lot. It's not going to feed 5,000 people. It's not going to buy a multi-million dollar building. It's not, it's not going to do that. But see, what you don't know is this. You don't know what God can do. But he can't multiply it until you give it away. It's the only way it's going to happen. Last story, and we'll close. In Mark chapter 12, fascinating story. Common story if you grew up in church. It says that Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. And he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. And many rich people there, and they were throwing in large amounts. But a widow came along, a poor widow as a matter of fact. And she threw in two small copper coins that were only worth a few cents. And calling his disciples to himself, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of her others, or all the others. They all gave out of their abundance or out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, she gave everything. She gave everything that she had, even to live on. I want you to catch this, like Jesus is watching what the people do. He's just an observer, and he's watching, and he, he watches this moment take place, and he literally pauses everything. He says, guys, 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 come here, come here. And he gathers them. He said, did you see what just happened? And he points out this idea, much like the little boy, with the five loaves of bread and the two fishes. And it was simply this. Did you see what they did? Did you see how they, like that little boy didn't have like two lunches and he gave one. He had one lunch and he gave it. And this woman, she had two little copper coins. The equivalent would be literally less than a penny. You know what I'm talking about? Like this is nothing. She goes, "I, I got nothing, but I got nothing to lose if I give it to you, God. 
You can only multiply what I give away. And so this is the moment where Jesus is like, I want you to recognize this. Because this is, this is what the, the woman and the boy both kind of portray this idea. Is that God is not looking for equal amounts. God is just looking for a heart of sacrificial generosity. It had nothing to do with equal portions or equal amounts. It was just equal sacrifice. The little boy, just, he just said, hey, I, it's not much, but I'll give it to you. And the woman said, it's not much, but I, I'll give it to you. Because God multiplies. Now again, what is he going to do for new beginnings? I have no idea. Will the miraculous take place? I don't know, but I ask and I pray and I believe. And the only thing I can do is do what I can do in the natural and let God do what he can do in the supernatural. Let's pray this morning. God, today, a group of your followers have dedicated this day to be a day for a miracle offering. It's a miracle not because of necessarily the amount that we give today. It's a miracle day because of what you do with it today. And God, we give it away. We, we put it in your hands. We, we trust you. We ask you to do the incredible. Again, talking, talking to a, a, a man this morning who couldn't be here but wanted to give and talking to people who, who found creative ways to do things and selling things and giving things. And someone literally told me that they were in church and, and, and on a day where they were figuring out what they were going to do and how much of their tax return they were going to get, they literally got an email while sitting in church and their tax return was way more than they ever imagined that it would be. Everybody's got their own way. They've got their own story. Everybody's got their own lunchbox. Everybody has their loaves and fishes. Everybody has their two coins. Everybody has. And so for some people, it's huge. But today, God, is a day that we... We dedicated to you, God, that we would do our best and trust that you would do something miraculous. Lord, we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv. 